up, everybody? The weekend is almost here, so the Couchside Judges are back to look ahead to Saturday's UFC Fight Island action. I'm Scott Fontana. My partner in crime is Dan Urban, and we're honestly really pumped for these fights. As such, we've selected one fight from each of the headliners for past judgment. So we've got a double dose of our Fight Rewatch segment for you this episode. Scott and I are checking out Corey Sanhagen's 2019 showdown against the always violent John Lineker, as well as Marlon Marais' Octagon debut in 2017 against Rafael Sunsal. That was the first of two fights between them. With Sanhagen and Marais scheduled for five rounds Saturday night in what ought to be a fantastic fight at 135 pounds, we figure these are a great way for you to get primed for this weekend. Well, Dan, obviously we've got two fights on our plate for this episode, so let's dive in, right? Go ahead and remind everyone how we score fights for past judgment. The CSJ criteria is basically the same as the ABC criteria, which, if you're unfamiliar with, it is available at abcboxing.com. I suggest you read it and learn it. Like certified judges, we score rounds based on the 3Ds, damage, dominance, and duration. We just made a few key changes. A 10-9 round is a competitive round in which neither fighter checks one of the 3Ds by a large margin. A 10-8 can be considered just for 1D, but should definitely be given when 2Ds are achieved. 10-7 is available for checking off 2Ds, but must be given for all three. We've discarded tiebreakers for effective aggression and area control, as these are rarely used by judges anyway. The rare 10-10 would only be given in largely uneventful rounds. All of this helps provide for more varied scores that should more accurately reflect what happened in a fight. All right, Scott, as always, set the stage for Lineker and Sanhagen. Yeah, so this was on the main card of a fight night from BB&T Center in Sunrise, Florida, outside of Fort Lauderdale on April 27, 2019. Now, I went to see Avengers Endgame that night, but I'm almost positive I caught this one eventually. I don't know. Maybe not because I don't really remember the fight very well. I definitely did watch the headliner, though. That was the, the Jacare Souza against Jack Hermanson, and that was a good fight. Did you watch, by the way, uh, Avengers Endgame? I, Avengers guy? I am behind in the uh, Marvel Universe. Uh, okay, well, I won't spoil quite a, anything. Quite a few uh, movies. People die, but they don't. Yeah, quite a few movies I'm behind. Ah, that's all right. So back to the fights, though. Lineker, he came in ranked eighth at 135 pounds, coming off consecutive wins over Marlon Chito Vera and Brian Kelleher. Uh, the latter was a third-round KO uh, almost a year earlier, so he'd been on the shelf for a little bit. Came in 31-8, and eight, but 12-3 and three in the UFC. So obviously he was doing work in the octagon, and I still can't believe that he never fought for UFC title. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. It's so wild because he was so good, so much fun, and he was winning. I, he, I don't understand big, how lost, it didn't happen. Yeah, he lost big ones, I guess, in the midst of his runs. Well, and not only that, he was missing weight at, yeah, at true. flyweight. He Always had a, a lot risk. of problems making the flyweight limit. Yeah. But, I mean, gosh, give him get, someone just put him in a title fight. Why not? I mean, we've <laughs> had we've had worse contenders. <laughs> <laughs> Sanhagen, though, uh, he wasn't ranked at this point. Uh, so this was a big step up for him. He was 10 and 1, so, you know, kind of still a rising prospect. Uh, but he'd won his first three UFC bouts by finish, the most recent a first-round sub of Mario Bautista three months before. Judges for this one, Derek Cleary, Chris Lee, and Barry Luxembourg, and the referee was Tan Dan Mergliata. So, Dan, what do we got here? What's round one? Tell, take me through. Round one, Lineker, super aggressive as always, throwing bombs, yep. puts everything into every strike. It, it's crazy. Uh, hook after hook. It just didn't seem like they were landing cleanly to me. And I thought Sanhagen, you know, weathered it and everything he landed is getting better reactions, a lot cleaner lands and and did, more lands. He did a lot more, at least, especially for the final three minutes of the round. He he was landing some good strikes. 
Yeah, it's not that it's not that Lineker wasn't busy enough or anything like that. I you know both of the Mies men were pretty busy, uh, but I really did think that Sandhagen already asserted that he was going to have the volume edge in this round, and I think that served him pretty well here. Yeah, and, and for the, and he was landing cleaner. Everything he threw, oh, of course, that too was getting through much better. Yeah, for sure. You know, volume alone isn't necessarily going to win. Landing cleaner alone isn't always going to win. But I think he kind of had a little bit of both, so it made it a little easier to pick him in this round. Yeah, I would say I'm going to go 10-9 for Sanhagen in this one. I also did. I don't think it's it's crazy to go Lineker here. I, I It's not – that doesn't bother me as a score uh, because you know only two out of three judges actually sided with you and I for Sanhagen. That was Lee and Luxembourg, Derek Cleary. Went 10-9 Lineker here. And I don't think, again, this is this is not a terrible score. I just didn't think it was the right one in this instance. Yeah, I, I definitely have more. Uh, I'm definitely leaning more towards Sanhagen. Uh, maybe Derek Cleary thought those hooks were, were doing some something effective. I didn't think they were that effective. Yeah, that's certainly a case. Like when, Especially when you've got a fighter like that who's throwing his whole body into it and everything like that. Or, you know, really just... The fact that these are band and weights that throw a lot. Sometimes it can be harder to call mm-hmm. what what essentially was still a closest round as far as strikes landed, you know? Or maybe he was picking up something that we just weren't seeing, you know? That, that's entirely possible. That's I, I can't rule that out here. But uh, I do feel like, you know, two out of three judges saw it that way. You and I saw it that way. So not that our say is equal to them, but we're talking about four to one margin here. I, I think it's a pretty good I, I think it's a pretty good way to give it is is yeah. to Sandhagen, right? Yeah, but sure. definitely not a ten A. This this didn't approach oh, in no, our scoring system. No, not no. even close. Not I don't think any no. of these rounds got close to a ten A actually. I mean, uh, I flirted with round three, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that for sure. Uh so round two though, what did you see here? I thought Sandhagen was landing solid shots throughout the entire round while Lineker landed heavy. He did he landed better than he did in round one. He just wasn't yeah. as often. And I thought Sandhagen had much more effect on his uh his strikes it didn't seem like Sanhagen even you know had to reset or anything anytime Lineker landed something. And again, the level of activity coupled with landing, you know, because more the landing is obviously what factors in here. You know, effective striking. Uh, and I thought he was effective not only in terms of how he landed, but how often he landed, and to a much higher degree than the first round. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, I gave very very minor points for the Sanhagen takedown. I thought it was decent impact there so yeah the, he did follow up with a couple strikes there it's true it wasn't it wasn't a big one it could have ended more but i mean it was something you know it wasn't just a takedown lay on him for you know 10 seconds and get back up you know yeah and i also gave very little points to lineker for that neck crank not not a ton not more than the takedown i just gave it a little bit okay hurt him a little bit i think it didn't end up mattering right yeah yeah so, so. I, but you have obviously sandhagen again here right 10-9. yeah sandhagen 10-9 same here, same here. No problems. Uh, the judges, again, two out of three had this for Sandhagen, but it was a different two out of three. In this case, it was Cleary and Luxembourg saw it for Sandhagen, whereas Lee went for Lineker here. And again, I'm not offended by the score here, but I do think actually this is a little bit of a harder one to give to Lineker. Uh, yeah, I would agree it's a bit different, a bit more hard, even though I would agree that it's a bit more difficult to give it to him here, but... He did land better in this round than he did in round one. That so, is true. I will give you that. Yeah. So, you know, is he is he weighing the impact of the strikes more? Possibly. Yeah, so, definitely possible yeah, there. Not an awful score, but one that, again, I, I think it, I think we are all in the majority here that this was a Sandhagen round, you know, right? Oh, definitely. So actually, Luxembourg is the 
only one who saw both rounds the same way as you and I. So he has it 20 to 18 for Sandhagen, whereas Lee and Cleary each have it tied at 19. Yeah, so in our scoring, it's much easier for Lineker to come back here. but Certainly, but even at that, not that not that they were fighting with our scoring system right, that night, yeah. of course, but even at that, like this was this round three. Take, well, take us through, Dan. Tell, tell us what was happening. I thought Sandhagen was doing a great job keeping Lineker off him with the jab. I just didn't see it as an impactful strike. I saw it as an effective strike. If, I don't know if, if those two contradict each other or not. I saw it as effective because he keeps Lineker off him. But when Lineker was able to get in, he was definitely winning the exchanges. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, effect, effective, really, you're, I think my understanding is at least you're looking for effect on your opponent in terms of damage. That's I mean, how I okay. interpret it. it. So it, it if was that's a, the case, yeah, that, and, yeah, you know, judges can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, that was that's my understanding of the scoring and yeah. effective scoring. Because it just wasn't him throwing a jab out there and it missing and him just, you know, mm. keeping a you know distance finder and preventing Lineker from coming. I thought he was landing it, which was yeah, preventing uh, yeah, Lineker's attack coming. Sure. So, but I just didn't think anytime Lineker actually did get in and landed strikes, I thought they were really big. Uh, and I thought he had a nice flurry at the end right before. Oh, he definitely had yeah. a nice flurry at the so end. So, yeah. He forced a, a takedown attempt from Sanhagen, which ended up, getting him locked in a quite deep guillotine attack there. It was a good guillotine attack. I didn't think it was going to end the fight. I, I kind of had a feeling that if, if it wasn't one of those ones where the horn sounded and they had to break it up, I don't think Sanhagen was saved from a tap coming or anything yeah, like that. I Although I don't man, think so either, but it was tight. <laughs> but the image of the blood bursting out of Sanhagen's oh my God. nose, that was so gross. I rewinded that three <laughs> or four times just to watch it. It was like watching a... God, the imagery I'm going to give you guys. It was like watching a pimple pop. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're watching. <laughs> and it just yeah. like burst open on him. And it was like you oh. even heard an audible gasp like from the crowd where they like oh, noticed yeah. that on the yeah. screen. <laughs> yeah, I rewinded it. I watched that a few times. Um, you're a weirdo. But no. the thing is, I, I agree with you that it wasn't that close because he was in it for like 15 seconds. Usually he would either have went to sleep by the bell or gotten a tap by then. I if, think if he was, was defending it well too. I, I mean, so, you just look at the way he's defending it; it looked okay. Yeah, I thought I just thought it was it was tight, and I, I thought that helped. It's a good me, attack, yeah. It helped me cinch up the round for him. Oh, for sure. You know that. I mean, again, even if it's not necessarily going to finish fight, I think it still counts as a good offensive attack because there was there was at least a point where it looked like it could be close. You know, I think he defended it well, but even the act of being forced to defend. Yeah. The submission attempt. My understanding is that scores for you. For, yeah, definitely. So that's, you know, I think that makes it a very, in what I thought was still a pretty close round up until those final, you know, 20, 25 seconds or so. Mm. It really, really made it so clear to me that this was definitely Lineker's round. Yeah, it, it, it definitely cinched it up for me. I thought it was, it was close on impact. You know, the volume uh, stats will tell you differently, but well, I the thought, numbers don't, yeah, right, they yeah. can lie. Uh, Lineker's lands were just much heavier. And when he forced Sanhagen to take a shot after getting hit with that flurry, that was telling me, okay, this is, you know, this is Lineker's round. And then it coupled with that guillotine attack, uh, that was just, you know, no doubt for me in this one. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is a 10 9 round for Lineker. I didn't think it quite got to the 10 8, you know, referencing when we were kind of talking about yeah. earlier. I, I think of all the rounds, this is the only one you would ever think about potential 10 8 CSJ. But, yeah, I didn't think it was very close to it either. Yeah, I flirted with it, but I was like, I don't think it's going to get there. Yeah. So, again, that sends up, you know, we have the same scorecard here. 
29-28 for Sanhagen. And I think this is, I mean, in my humble opinion, I feel like this is the right scorecard. Yeah, I like this scorecard. But I'm very confused by the third round score here because again, you know, you and I saw this very easily for Lineker, not, not even a, a much of an argument here, right? It was Chris Lee and Barry Luxemburg that both saw it again for Lineker, but for the third round and the third of these three rounds, it was split again. And in this case, Derek Cleary saw it for Sanhagen. I, I don't like that score. Yeah. I, I definitely not in this round that Lineker no. was just too effective in this one. Yeah. I mean, look, Cleary's a terrific judge. I'm not trying to throw shade, but I just don't think this was a good score. I don't see a strong case here. And I'm I'm very curious what it was he saw for Sandhagen in this instance. But, you know, it didn't end up. <laughs> the funny thing is that if he hadn't given this round to Sandhagen, Lineker would have won the fight. Yeah, that's crazy. And I don't think that would have been the right call either. So in this case, two wrongs made a right. <laughs> And I, I like I, it's funny, guy. I didn't actually didn't mean to like I didn't mean to set that up. I didn't put that on my notes or anything like that. It just kind of came to me. And like, yeah, he kind of he gave two rounds that we both completely, you know, not completely disagreed with. One of we kind of did, but the other one, much closer case. And he still ended up in the right spot. Did he right end up in right? Clearly ended up for Lineker. Wow, yeah. Well, there was dissent in every single round. That's you know, it's a strange store. It's a strange scorecard, which is you know why we decided to do this one anyway. Yeah, it was so, when whenever you see. Split rounds in every single round. I think that's one that jumps out at us as a fight we would like to re-examine. Uh, you know, we we like to go back on fights that potentially offer. You know, could it be a round that goes all the way up to a ten eight in our system and and kind of changes the way it would be scored? You know, but we do also like to go back on these ones where it's like, well, well, why is it that the judges all all disagreed on all these rounds? You know, and, and I think this was a good case here where oftentimes we watch these fights and it looks really close. And we kind of get why it should be totally split. But here, I thought, even though some of the rounds were closer, this still should have been, not textbook, but pretty close and simple enough fight to score. But, you know, things can be tricky, especially with these Bantamweights. Yeah, there's so much going on. It's true. I, You know, I don't I don't want to sit here like I'm, I know better than the judges. I do not. Uh, I, think, I think I've been pretty... Uh, forthcoming about the fact that i know i'm not at their level right now <laughs> it may probably never will be but uh i do i do think that this one was probably just a little bit easier to score than some of these other fights but it is what it is you know again they still ended up at the right winner uh in my eyes so but unfortunately this is the last time we saw lineker in the ufc he ended up signing with one uh winning his debut last october and we haven't seen him this year obviously there have been a lot of issues uh, in the world which i think we all know about has one uh, had any events this year i don't recall actually There's... i don't think they have because yeah. there was supposed to be i mean i know at some point mighty mouse was supposed to fight and he hasn't yeah. fought he that hasn't was, fought. was back in like april or something so yeah. i don't yeah. think that they've been putting on shows yeah. mighty mouse didn't fight since last december you know on the same token uh mark ramundi of espn he put out uh, an article today. I haven't got the chance to read it myself, but uh, it was talking about just the the lack of events in the world, in the regional scene, and everything like that. I think the number of fights held is down like eighty percent over the same you know March to September period last year to this year. Wow, it's just decimated. Like there's so many fighters who just aren't getting work, aren't getting time to develop, aren't getting that cage time. It sucks. I know. And there's so many UFC events. So that's just such a crazy number. I know. I mean, the UFC, obviously, they march on. There are different 
they're in a different situation than the rest of the world. Mm. You know, we we pay most of our attention to the UFC, sometimes to Bellator. You know, I keep an eye on things like Invicta and and sometimes LFA and and uh, PFL when they're putting on events, which they aren't this year. Uh, but it's the regional scene, man. It's it's the really small shows around the world that are being impacted here, and that I think that's that a lot. Sucks. That's probably a big reason why we're seeing so many guys getting signed every contender so, yeah. every contender series event there's like four or five contracts going out yeah but oh, it just sucks I, I hope we can get past this period sooner than later not just for these fighters i mean i've got a billion reasons in my own personal life but <sighs> we gotta we gotta get this virus we will anyway we will. anyway the one thing i do want to say though to to get back to lineker is i think it's unfortunate that we don't have him in the ufc talent pool anymore because him against so many bantamweights would be fun fights, you know, especially against Marlon Marais, the fighter that we're going to talk about in the next fight, too. I think that would have been an amazing fight if it happened. Yeah, that'd be a fun fight. This is this division is probably the deepest at the top in any other division. It might UFC be right has. now. It keeps on going down. You know, it was first it was welterweight and then it was lightweight and kind of still is in some ways. And then featherweight and now bantamweight. So really anywhere from 135 to 170, it's just Shark Tank all over the place definitely yeah but let's you know let's move on to that marais fight i was talking about so i'll introduce it you know he was this was his original fight against rafael sunsau in his ufc debut they were the featured prelim of ufc 212 at jonese arena in rio de janeiro on june 3rd 2017 headliner for that one was max holloway uh when he became the undisputed champion against jose aldo at featherweight a sunsau he came into this one at 25 and 5 he was 9-1 at bantamweight, all in the UFC, so he was a killer. Uh, they really gave Marais a really tough test here. So several finishes on his ledger, but the two biggest wins were close split decisions over TJ Dillashaw, which Dillashaw later avenged, and Aljamain Sterling in his most recent fight about four months earlier than this. Still crazy, too, that a Sunsound never got a title shot either. <laughs> Talking about guys who... There's a lot of yeah. people who just aren't getting title shots. It's like, come on, they, they've got amazing records. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of that going around. But then Marais, again, his UFC debut, he was dominant in World Series of Fighting for quite a while. One of the most high-profile free agent signings the UFC's had in the last few years. He was 18-4-1 coming in, won 13 in a row. Biggest names during that streak, Tyson Nam, flyweight contender right now in the UFC, and the former WEC bantamweight champion Miguel Angel Torres. That was a split decision, too. It was. I think that was that was right near the end of Torres' uh, career here. Yeah. It, it, he, he got some bad beats in the, <laughs> the tail end of his career. We talked about him against Mighty Mouse a uh, bunch, of, bunch of episodes ago, too. But I digress. Judges for this one, Fabio Alves, Guillermo Bravo, and Felipe Iorio. And the referee was Osiris Maya. Dan, let's get into this. Round one, what's happening? I thought this was a decently close round. I, I thought Marais was countering well. Uh, but Asensio was landing heavy strikes anytime he did throw. He wasn't really throwing yeah. too many combinations. And it, it seemed Marais had a little trouble with the fo- with his footing. He kept slipping it a lot. Yeah, um, it was a little strange. It, it, he, I mean, a sunset certainly wasn't having the same type of issues. Yeah. So you know, it's it, you almost the first thing you think of when you see something like that is like, oh, you know, there's maybe there's humidity in the arena or something like that. Yeah. I don't know, but I mean, it seemed like it was just him. So who knows? Yeah, and his lands just didn't seem as strong for me, even if there was a few more one. And Asuncao cleared it up at the end of the round, landing those two heavy rights, which stumbled Marais. Yeah, that made it a lot easier. And in, in what was honestly, there just wasn't a ton of action in this round in general. 
So those punches really stood out. Those were those right hands. Yeah, so 10-9 of Sun Tso. Same. I don't think you'd go any other way here. Although Alves saw this 10-9 Marais. Um, again, close round, low output. Those are the type of rounds that we always say are, are kind of harder for judges to uh, be able to be unanimous on. So, you know, I guess I get it, but I don't know. This, this seemed like an Asuncao round. Yeah, I mean, you got to give him something to score, but there was definitely enough there. Yeah, and Bravo and Yorio, they went for a Asuncao. So, you know, most of us, four out of five, recommend this as an Asuncao round. Round two, though, this for me, and I'll let you set it up, but I just got to say, if there was ever a coin toss round that we've talked about on the Couchside Judges, it's this round. Yeah, this was a close competitive round, one of the closest I can recall. Yeah, low output again. I, the I I ended up scoring it from Marais ten nine. Uh, based on the good body work, I thought that was the story of uh, the round that swayed it for me. Okay, can't fault <laughs> you there. I didn't throw a coin, but I might as well have. I, I mean, I I gave the slightest of edges to a Sun Sao here. Okay, and honestly, I have a hard time explaining why. <laughs> I really do. I just do, and and that's you know that's on me. That's that's my lack of ability. Uh, in that sense, but gosh, this was just so close. Yeah, very close. Uh, I thought Marais landed his best against the body with his kicks and punches. I mean, I thought that was the clear edge of why I would go with him. But I, I, I see the case for a sunset. He was good too. Yeah. Again, I, I'm kind of at a loss of words on this one. Yeah. It was just this was such a again a, a low output round, mm-hmm. a very close round. I see your argument. Fine, honestly. You probably could sway me, you know, if we sat and watched this together and you're like, hey, this was happening. I'd be like, ah, that makes sense. Sure. Go for it. Uh, but but I did go a sense out here. And, and you know, I guess because it's my score, I, I'll stand by it enough. And my score doesn't matter anyway. So that's fine. So <laughs> we're, we don't matter. Uh, this is just for funsies. So, yeah, but I do have 20 to 18 of sense out here, whereas you now have it tied. Correct. At 19 yeah, apiece. Tied at 19. And. Iorio actually also saw it the same way I did for a Sun Sao, but Alves and Bravo went 10-9 for Marais. And you know what? Honestly, you know, they were in the majority. You feel more strongly about it. I, I got to say, I mean, it makes a lot more sense that this is a Marais round then. Uh, maybe if you watch it again. Maybe if I watch it again, I go a Sun Sao. I, who knows? This was a really good was a close round. And like you mentioned, it was such low output. That, it was. Who knows? I always have a hard time. They can help us rounds. out a yeah, little bit, I'm, too. You know, maybe, maybe one day, you know, if the world opens back up and we can do some sort of training with with some of those yeah. uh, those certified judges who can train and referees who can train judges. I would love to take the course and, and really learn to look for the, the nitty gritty details that, that could make a difference in a round like this, because this gosh, this is honestly just kind of beyond my skill level at this point. Yeah, I felt let, like let's get the couchside judges in a class. Come on. I know, I know. Come on, be COVID. <laughs> Wear a damn mask, everybody. Uh, <laughs> through two rounds, everyone's got a different scorecard because Alves and Bravo saw this from Marais again. Yorio had it, a Sun Sao. So Alves now has it 20 to 18 for Marais. Marais is obviously winning in his eyes. Yorio has 20 to 18 for a Sun Sao, just as I do. So, you know, Sun Sao's already won it. And Bravo is the only one who has it tied at 19 all. So effectively, because those two scores count count each other out, and it doesn't matter who wins this round unless it's a 10-8. Bravo is the only man who decides this fight. No one knows it, but he is he holds the fate of this fight in his hands. <laughs> you have a tall task, Gil Army Bravo. <laughs> don't let everybody down. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think 
that type of thing happens very often. I would love to see how infrequently that happens. I should get a we should get Chris McMaster on the on the case and try to find out because that would be yeah. very interesting to find out how many times Definitely. one judge has been the sole arbiter of what would happen in a in a fight barring a 10-8. Yeah, maybe we can get that on his list of can, things to yeah, do. We'll check, we'll check with yeah. him there. <laughs> round three, though. This was obviously the deciding round for Guillermo Bravo. What happened? <laughs> I thought the story of this round was Mirai's light kicks that he's known for finally arrived in the fight. Okay. And I thought he landed the good ones. He actually, uh, after he gets dropped, because he does get dropped in, uh, by a right hand. Brief from a knock round, knockdown early. It was like an overhand right. Um, but once he gets up, he lands an inside leg kick that I guess you count as a knockdown a little bit. Similar. Took out a Sunsail's balance completely. So Yeah, I don't think they score those as knockdowns. Okay. But like it kind of is. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's. You know, a knockdown, it's like, it doesn't matter what you call a thing. It really just matters how impactful it was. Yeah. Like, it's not like the judges are sitting there like, that's a knockdown. Or, that's not a knockdown. They don't <laughs> care. It's it's just what effect that is. Well, so. it does. It does a little bit. A very, you it know. Does, it, but like, you know, that's, there's no one telling them that's a knockdown or not. It's not like boxing. Yeah. There's no automatic 10-8s for knockdowns. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't think a sunset really did anything other than that. that Outside was all that, of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a close round, and I think the volume was kind of still there. But like, it was actually the most active round of all these uh, of all the three. They were starting to actually mm-hmm. kind of get going here, uh, just a little bit. I think Marais um, felt he needed this round to win because this corner was telling him he lost round one. Yeah, he so, definitely knew he lost that round, uh, or at least was fighting like it. So, and that was good because honestly, these fighters need to have urgency uh, in mm-hmm. in the fights. When you if you don't know what the score is because there's no real-time scoring like they have in Kansas, which they did finally get to do for an LFA event just the other day. So good to see that. Got the on-regional scene right on. Uh, but if you don't know, you've got to assume in a reasonably close round that you might have lost and you got to fight like it. Yeah, and we also saw in, in the the fight we just did, Sanhagen-Lineker, he asked his corner in the third round, Sanhagen did, do I yeah. need this round to win? I it's now that Marshall told him, yeah. you need every round. Yeah, well, he should. That's what a coach should always tell him. You need That's to win right. every single round. I like it. I like it. But Unless yes, you know. Yeah. If you know, then, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I, you know, for all the reasons you outlined, I thought this was a Marais round. You know, I again, the sunset, he really, it's not that he disappeared after the knockdown, but Marais almost seemed to realize, okay, I've, I've got to win this back. You know, I've got, I've got to fight for it. And, and I think he did. I think he did take the round. Yeah, I, I, everything yeah. he was landing was landing with more effect mm-hmm. than a Sun Tzu outside of that, you know, knockdown, brief knockdown punch. Yeah, 10-9 for Marais. I, I really thought his light kicks finally showing up in this fight opened up yeah, other yeah. strikes for him. So it, it Two was, more rounds, yeah. maybe it would have been a different fight. Yep. But yeah, so I have it 29-28 a Sun Tzu because, again, you know, I didn't quite flip a coin, but it certainly felt like it in round two. Uh, and you have 29-28 for Marais. It, it all comes down to round two. Yeah. So how did Guilherme Bravo score round three to decide this fight? Well, all three judges actually gave this one to a Sun Sal. They must have thought that knockdown was good. Obviously, that weighed heavily in their minds. Uh, I don't fault them. There's there's certainly logic to it. Yeah. You know, and and maybe that's just the right way to do it. You know, maybe these three judges are agreeing with the majority of judges around the world would, too. I don't know. Um, We don't have any of our typical, you know, top traveling judges, although Guillermo Bravo, he travels and he is one of the most respected judges coming out of Brazil. Uh, but I'm interested to know what a round like this registers for some of the other judges uh, that typically are scoring fights, especially who we've seen in 
you know, in Las Vegas at UFC Apex. So it is what it is. You know, it was a close fight. I can understand why it would go to a sunset. I had it for a sunset, but I didn't think it was because of this round. Yeah, I thought round two definitely is the swing. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it is what it is that, you know, ultimately, I definitely thought the night of the fight that Marais had won. As did almost every media member. Yeah, I think most people, yeah, in the media, I think a lot of people watching at home. I, I was at a bar uh, with some friends and, and there was a lot of sentiment there that Marais should have won. I wonder how much bias came into play on that night because people have been calling for Marais to be in the UFC for a long time. Yeah, but, uh, you know, at least and he was a I'm huge watching favorite. with, they didn't, uh, a lot of the people, at least who were in the bar, I get the sense they didn't know who Marlon Marais was. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I meant, I meant, me, I meant media wise. Oh, media wise. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. Everybody has their biases, but, you know, I think a lot of people respect a Sunset too. You know, obviously he's, yeah, he was number three he, coming in. This moved him, this moved him to 10 and one at Bantamweight in the UFC. I mean, yeah. That's that's an amazing record. He was the underdog too. As he was a, a as slight a underdog, rank. yeah. It was a pretty decent underdog. I, oh, it was a big one. He was Marais was minus two thirty, and he was plus one eighty. Oh goodness. So it was. Oh, a, man. I mean, for number third rank fighter, for the number three rank fighter at bantamweight to be the dog against a guy making his debut is. I don't think you usually see that. I mean, look, coming into this, I did think that Marais was going to win, but I mean, if you told me, hey, set the line, I probably would have said even at the time, I don't know, Marais minus 140, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, not that I'm an odds maker, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's, it's neither here nor there because again, they end up going back at it and yeah, Marais finished them in the rematch. Yep. uh, Last February, actually, uh, in the, it was a headliner. And Marais won by first round guillotine. No judges needed. Yeah, he put he put the stamp on that one. He did. He did. Obviously, that fight vaulted him into the title shot against Henry Cejudo, and he lost. So tough break because uh, he was winning that fight too against Cejudo, and they ran out of gas. But mm-hmm. is what it is. He's still hanging around. He obviously won against next <laughs> the next bantamweight challenger in Jose Aldo. So hopefully, he gets his own shot at the Bantamweight title again, especially Cejudo's gone. So it's not like the yeah. champ standing in his way. <laughs> so, and, and maybe if he wins this fight this weekend though, against Sanhagen, I don't know. I, yeah. I do think he's going to win. Actually. You think he's going to be Sanhagen? I think he win. he beats Sanhagen. Sanhagen has to keep him away from him. I think to win. You this think fight. So? Well, you know, got to use his here's the thing. I love this fight. The Sanhagen fight here. I will always watch Marlon Marais. I like Sanhagen too, although he did not look very good against uh, Aljamain Sterling earlier this year. Or Aljo I just really want so What's good. That? I think Aljo just looked really good. No, he. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's really more that Aljo looked amazing than Sanhagen didn't look good. But Aljo looked so good that he made yeah. Sanhagen look yeah. pretty bad. That's true. You know, it's, <laughs> it, I'm trying to prop Aljo up, not tear Sanhagen down. Right. But it. I mean, you know, one creates the other in a way. So, but I do want to pick Marais like my heart does. But I am leaning towards Sanhagen actually. To be honest. I don't want to. I don't want to say this, but I. I hope Sanhagen wins for the simple fact. Why? For the simple fact, I don't want Dana White to be like, oh, you know, Aljo, maybe you shouldn't get this oh, title yeah. fight. Because no, I understand that. So, because I think the guy deserves it. So they're they're toying with him way too much. It's it's kind of messed up. Yeah, I just it's, it's more than kind of messed up. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. I don't. I don't like to see this. I don't. It, the posturing. It, it's not like. 
it's not like Aljamain Sterling is a boring fighter to watch and he's like loath to put him in there. I I feel like it comes down to a lot of other factors, which I don't want to get into right now because it's just too off topic. But yeah, I mean, I do watch, I do look at this fight now and I was leaning even before we watched these fights toward Marais winning, but I think the volume striking is going to be problematic for Marais, who, you know, prefers kind of a steadier pace. You think? Okay. Well, that's I, do. I, I think Corey Sanding has to stay, he has to stay on him, I think. Keep him away. If he lets Marais close the distance, I think Marais has him all day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he may not even have him all day. He might just finish him with That's, one yeah. strike. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. that that power, which, I mean, he had that flying knee KO on Sterling himself, too. Yeah. So. But, yeah, you can't discount the power. This is not one that, like, if I was a betting man, I would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to throw a bunch of money on <laughs> Sandhagen because there's no way you can bet against someone like Marlon Marais to not get the finish like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm just super intrigued to see how it, it develops. I think it's a really good fight. Yeah, I'm excited all around for Saturday. Me too. Me too. And judges-wise, if they're needed, I don't know who we have necessarily, but we did have six judges last weekend as opposed to five the previous weekend. I know at some point we're supposed to get more of the main traveling American judges like I was talking about before. Uh, don't know if it's this weekend or the next weekend or anything like that. But at some point we're supposed to get more of them, more names that we recognize and and fewer in, in American audiences anyway, and fewer judges like Clemens Werner and, and Anders Olsen, who are great judges, but not as recognizable to the American viewing public uh, typically. So I would yeah, say, we'll see. We'll see who we end up with. I would say closer to the end. I think they, they want to bring those guys in for Gaethje and, and Nermanka Madoff. Yeah. I imagine for that fight, they'll definitely have, uh, pretty much the A team as best as they can uh, can get out there, um, but I don't, you know, I don't think we've had very scandalous judging in Abu no, Dhabi yet. You know? not, no, hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, I'm with you. So, what do you want to say other than the the main event here, which obviously is awesome? What else do you want to say? Uh, Rodrigo Nascimento versus Chris Dawkins. What is you and a heavyweight fight? Out of all it these is fights, a heavyweight, a heavyweight well, okay, fight. Okay, let me explain. Okay, Dawkins from Philadelphia. I've seen the guy fight live like four or five times at CFFC when I go down to Atlantic City to watch the fights or Philadelphia. And I want to see these guys that I know from basically the minors or the regionals make it in the big show. So they're your guys. They're my guys, and I'm excited to see them fight. All right, all right. That's fair. That's fair. But what about you? (laughs) There's so many I could pick, but I'm going to give you one that's probably a lot more under the radar than most people, and that's Ali Alkazi and Tony Kelly. At yeah. 135 pounds. Exciting fighters. Potential loser leaves town match. Oh, God, I hate that, too. I, both of them lost really hard luck decisions the last time where you could really make a strong case. And I actually do sit in the camp where I think both of them probably won their last fight. But again, it's it's such a close fight mm-hmm. that it, both of them are close fights that you can understand why. But it would be such a bad deal for either of them to fall to 0-2. First off, just that that would happen yeah. in the octagon. But I hope that as long as they have, you know, a good showing, which is what I expect from them, I hope that they each get another fight after this in the octagon. They're too fun. They're talented. You know, I have no pick. I'm not necessarily going to make a pick on this one. I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, it's just this is just going to be a fun fight. And there's so many guys, honestly, that I'm excited to watch. You know, Yusuf Zalal, J- Giga Jakadze, Tom Aspinel. That's a heavyweight I want to yeah. watch. Impa Kasanganai. Edson Barbosa against Makwan Amerikani in the in the co-headliner. That's gonna be great. Yeah, I thought you were gonna pick Gige. I almost did. I, you know, I like. I mean, I keep picking him, and he doesn't end up fighting. So, <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx it. I, I'm just tired of picking a fight that I don't get to watch. 
<laughs> but uh, you know, honestly, any of the, so many of these fights are going to be winners. I think we're going to have a really, really fun fight night. That's all we've got for this week. Dan and I, of course, will return in just a few days to examine all the fights coming out of Abu Dhabi. Maybe we'll even squeeze in some fights from Bellator fights uh, in Paris, huh? It's the first major MMA event in France since they legalized it earlier this year. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Scott underscore Fontana. And my DMs are open. You can find me on Twitter as well at Dan Urban MMA. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and enjoy the fight Saturday. Later, guys. Later, guys.